Hello and welcome to The Grand Thunk, the podcast in which we, Alex Blanchard and Rhiannon Kearns, discuss what we've been reading, watching and listening to, a fairly simple premise. We have transcripts in our link tree, which is in our Instagram bio at The Grand Thunk. You can message us on there or email us thegrandthunk at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. So please subscribe, rate, review and tell all your friends. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Really well. Are you excited that we are now fully launched into Lent? Oh God, Lent. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, that slightly passed me by after the excitement of Pancake Day. I <laughs> sort of forgot about the following thing, which is of course Lent. So no, I haven't. Are you giving anything up? I haven't given anything up. Well, I was considering maybe being a bit holier than thou and taking up (laughs) this is gonna sound so (laughs) millennial (laughs) that i write a to-do list at the beginning of the morning and then get to the evening and there's always a couple of things that i haven't done and i want to take up forgiving myself for not having finished everything on my to-do list oh that is nice it's very earlier than now isn't it it's very up myself (laughs) but I think that's a good productive thing to be doing. <laughs> no, it's a good thing to recognise in yourself and then, you know, make a positive sort of movement to change. I think that's really good. It's nice mm. to think of taking up something as well rather than giving up something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, maybe, maybe I should think of something to give up or to take up. That's good. I was talking to my sister the other day who is mm. doing Lent properly. I think her and her boyfriend are both giving up chocolate and alcohol. Gosh. Which I was like, that is that is proper Lent behaviour right there. Very, that very really is Lent behaviour. Serious, isn't it? And I think especially you could barely do one of those. Never mind both of them, and never mind both of them in a pandemic. So I have <laughs> yeah. a lot. Of... I'm giving up seeing my friends and socialising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so maybe I should think of something to give up or take up. I'll let you know next week. See how I get on. <laughs> I'm gonna launch into the segment. Well, who'd have thunk? Oh, it's back. I'm pleased to see it again. (laughs) It's back. I've been finding out this week a little about Genghis Khan's early feminism. (laughs) Right. Which I'm not sure that all his actions could really be termed feminist, but I thought it sounded like a good little headline. Mm -hmm. So Genghis Khan actually ended up creating a huge woman-led empire because wow. he was in the habit of marrying his daughters off to kings of allied nations. And when they left, he would give them very strict marital instructions that made it known in no uncertain terms that this wedding, this marriage, was a major military assignment. And so he'd marry off his daughters and then send his new son-in-laws off to military duty whilst his daughters would take over the ruling responsibilities. And so generally, (sighs) most of his son-in-laws died in battle and the women were left, his daughters were left ruling. Through that, he managed to create the shield around the Mongol homelands so that by the time he died, his daughters ruled from the Yellow Sea to the Caspian Sea. The article I was reading 
quotes that probably never before or since have women held so much power over so vast a region. Wow, that's amazing. I know. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Who'd have thunk? There we go. I was getting there. It was coming. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really remarkable, actually. I don't know really all that much about the rest of his reign. So I'm going to have to research that and come back with a more informed decision on his on his feminist actions. But <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I like it. That's a great one. Thank you. So I've got two little recommendations for you this week. So one is a new TV series that I've become a little obsessed with, though I should say it's absolutely not a new TV series. It's just new to me because it came out quite a long time ago. I've been watching Catastrophe on Channel 4. Have you seen it? No, I haven't heard anything about it. Ah, so it's produced by Merman, which is Sharon Horgan's production company. And so it's written and stars Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney. They write it together and they Mm -hmm. play the two leads. I think it first came out in 2015 and there's about four series, which is very exciting when you start a new show and there's four series of it. <laughs> what's it about? What's what's the premise? So it's basically Sharon Horgan plays a teacher and has a one night stand with this American guy and then they kind of keep seeing each other, having loads mm. of fun but really casually for like the week or two that he's in the UK and then he flies mm. back to America and then weeks or however long later she finds she's pregnant. Uh. He then comes over to the UK and they kind of figure out being together, having this baby, oh, living wow. together, live. I mean, I've literally only watched about four episodes, but I know yeah. from having seen things in like that she's done more recently in referencing that show that it charts mm. a lot of their life, I think, from this point onwards. Oh, wow. Oh, and it's just so funny. It's so good. I absolutely love Sharon Horgan so much. She's just the dream. She's hilarious. And this show is just fantastic. It's filled that hole in my TV watching life. I don't know. I've watched a lot of big, serious dramas recently or some really mm. gripping telly that's like kept me on tender hooks from episode yeah. to episode. And I just needed something that was quite light and funny, but also yes. good writing, not just rubbish. And I just needed something like that so I would stop watching reruns of Friends. <laughs> and <laughs> Catastrophe is the one. It's absolutely fantastic. It's half an hour episodes. I know if anyone's listening that's watched all of it, it goes a long way and it's done seriously well. That's a little recommendation if you are scraping the barrel of TV to watch and you need something fun and you've not seen it. Catastrophe is a good one to watch. Well, delightful. And the other thing that has been keeping me hooked this week, which is really random, is have you seen or heard anything about Bridgerton the musical? No, I haven't. (laughs) Oh, just you wait. (laughs) So I'm catching up on this. I've not been following in real time. So it all started on TikTok, this songwriter and singer Abigail Barlow basically posted a TikTok saying so what if Bridgerton was a musical and then singing this piece that she'd written and it kind of went massive and then she collaborated with her writing partner Emily Bear and they've written all these songs from different characters points of view basically turning Bridgerton into a musical and they are so good <laughs> literally they're so catchy and they're so <laughs> the songs are also like in tune with the show it really fits it really feels like real it's mm. gone absolutely huge and massively gone viral and everything Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear are just so talented and when Lauren sent it to me and we were chatting about it we were just saying like oh isn't that one of the really good sides of social media like for all its downfalls and for kind of the damage that social media can do and like the bad sides of it 
it's amazing that it gives people a platform who are so talented yeah. to have the chance to go viral like this and for their work to take off. And these two women are just incredibly talented and writing these amazing songs. And so many huge Broadway and West End stars, especially Broadway stars I've seen that have like commented on them and doing covers of their versions of them saying like how great they are. And mm. it's just one of the small mercies of the internet, I think, that this sort of thing can happen. And it's just so cool. If you've not watched any of them, go and have a look. They're all over like their Instagrams and Twitters and stuff. So go and check it out if you enjoyed Bridgerton because they are really good fun. That reminds me of another musical phenomenon I saw this week about the Handforth Parish Council meeting. Have you heard about this? <gasps> yes! Oh my gosh. With the yes, infamous <laughs> Jackie please call me Britney Spears Weaver. (laughs) So funny. For those of you that don't know, there's a parish council meeting which reaches extraordinary heights of drama over, I'm not quite sure what, but potentially Mm. some members being a bit feisty. It ends up with Jackie Weaver, who is potentially the clerk (laughs) and potentially a monitoring body, removing both the chairman and another man who I think is a mayor from the Zoom chat. And it's just absolutely stunning. I mean, I've got no context for what's going on. (laughs) I don't think you need it. That's the beauty. (laughs) I did read that, in fact, Jackie Weaver hadn't read the standing orders as... One very irate Zoom member yells at her and in fact her actions were not lawful or (laughs) (laughs) to be recommended. But I thought it was very funny. It's the kind of lockdown content we all need. Yeah, but the bit that I've seen is a song that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote about the event, specifically Jackie Weaver. Yeah, Britain's answer to the American (laughs) dream in his words. (laughs) Andrew Lloyd Webber's got in on this. That's hilarious. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) Actually, I've seen another musical take on this. so many weird musical spin-offs this week <laughs> i saw the fantastic comedy duo flo and joan have you seen their stuff yes i have yes yeah so flo and joan rose to internet fame i don't know when they did their first one i think it's 2016 it was because mm. it was when the world went to shit yeah and they did a really brilliant original comedy song doing a summary of the year and they do it completely deadpan, looking at the camera with really serious faces. And it's, it's really fast. It's really funny. Every year, I don't know how they top it because I always think, oh, next year's can't be as good as this one. But they always do. They're mm. really, really good. And they did a Jackie Weaver, the musical, sort of just one <laughs> song. But it's so brilliant. This is a meeting called by two councillors. Illegally. This meeting has not been called according to the law. Illegal. Illegal to the law. Will you please let the chairman speak? She's not the proper officer. Who is this woman? Jackie Weaver. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. No authority at all. The chairman of the council is the chairman of the... No authority here, Jackie Weaver. Illegal. Please refer to me as Britney Spears. It just kicked him out. Oops, I did it again. Will you please listen? Will you stop being whatever it is you're trying to be and just clerk the meeting if that's what you want to do? Jackie Weaver. 
Jackie Weaver. Oh. Jackie Weaver. <laughs> so if you need some musical content in your life, you've got Bridgerton, you've got Jackie Weaver, you've got Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, you're sorted. Go check them out. Fantastic. Well, speaking of musical adaptations and all things listening, I have actually stumbled across a wonderful new little podcast that I'm very excited to talk to you about. Oh, a new feast for the ears. Do tell me. <laughs> I've come across a new little podcast, which I didn't know if I'd just come across it recently, but actually I think there's only it's only been releasing episodes since December, so I'm nearly up to date. And it's a podcast called who shat on the floor at my wedding <laughs> which is pretty much all you need to know <laughs> you're really unexpected <laughs> yeah it's absolutely brilliant so who shat on the floor at my wedding is a brilliant comedy podcast obviously presented by a couple karen and helen who got married a few years ago on a beautiful boat in amsterdam and had mm. the most perfect day and at some point during the evening one of them went downstairs into the bathroom and found a shit on the floor <laughs> nowhere near the cubicle or the toilet like there was no chance this was just a drunken aim or something there was just a full <laughs> shit on the floor um <laughs> and at the time you know there were some other people in the bathroom some friends and bridesmaids jumped into the rescue so she just did not obviously want to engage with the shit on the floor at her mm. wedding carried on with her night and didn't actually tell her wife until afterwards and understandably it then haunted their honeymoon <laughs> who did it was it a friend a family member was it staff how when so many questions and so now a few years on they have decided to go full-on detective mode and so find out who had the audacity <laughs> to shit on the floor at their wedding. I don't know how they waited a few years. Are they going through individual guests by individual guests asking people? Or Yeah, so it's really well put together, really well produced podcast. Mm. And so it's the two of them and they're joined by their friend detective in inverted commas <laughs> lauren kilby who is their friend who's decided to take on the very important role of detective and she's hilarious in leading the investigation they do lie detectors on people <laughs> they get witness statements they interrogate their guests they interrogate guests who maybe had a motive you know oh. there were some people that were perhaps an ex that are now a friend and is it a revenge act what could it be oh, that's fascinating it's so funny and it's really really well done and what I love is that amongst the ridiculousness of the situation, it's not all poo focused. Like there are so many funny and random wedding stories and details that come up throughout them trying to figure it out. So, you know, the amount of bonkers things that happen at a wedding and good stories that are then told for years to come. So it's a great all round podcast for funny stories and great characters and great people. And it's a really good combination of obviously them not taking themselves too seriously. But at the same time, they do sometimes get completely lost in the detail and lose sight of their toilet related crime. <laughs> so it's a really funny balance. And they even get, they've got really cool guests. They've had like really high level forensic scientists and ex investigators oh, wow. to come on and sort of comment, <laughs> which is hysterical. <laughs> and it's just the kind of thing I need in my life right now. And they're really lovely short episodes as well they're like 20 minutes or something each they are getting a bit longer which makes me excited that we're nearing the culprit <laughs> they're really nice to dip into i think i listened to about three in a row at one point and then realized i needed a break from hearing the phrase fecal matter for a little while <laughs> i was like oh that's enough take a break yeah i'm nearly up to date I don't know how many they have in total and I don't know if they're recording them in real time. But if this series ends and I don't find out who did it, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need the closure. <laughs> I'm quite concerned. 
That's so intriguing. Oh, my God. I, I'm totally captivated by what they're going to do when they, slash if, hopefully when they find the culprit, what they're going to do. And also the implication that will have on I that know. person's life. I was thinking about this. Presumably they'll get their permission <laughs> to publicly out them. Well, I was thinking, I was like, do you think they've finished it? They've finished recordings. They know who it is and they know that person's okay with it. Or maybe they're, I don't think they are. I get the impression. Oh my God. Because they do talk about it at one point. They said, oh, you know, lots of our friends and are asking, oh, is it fair for you to out? them and they're like yes someone shat on our floor of the wedding <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so it's absolutely brilliant they are really hilarious they're a great combination the three of them together so yeah a bit of light relief i highly recommend it and it did get me thinking that weddings are just a brilliant breeding ground for ridiculous stories and hilarious moments and i I'm getting married at some point this year, next year, who knows, whenever the pandemic allows us. And I'm not going to say I want something like this to happen because that's, you know, no one wants to shit on the floor at the wedding. But it's made me think, wow, I want something podcast worthy to come out of that day. You know, mm. you want to have something to, to keep you thinking for a few years. And obviously, <laughs> I know that you got married in the not too distant past. And I thought, do you have any similar or hopefully not too similar stories to this is there any mad things that happened at your wedding which need to make their way onto a podcast <laughs> i don't think we have any detective worthy stories damn it we have one couple that were found fornicating <laughs> by my mother in a field she walked past and saw some bare bottoms <laughs> and then went back and immediately told everybody and then everyone was like speculating who it was and she was trying to piece together bits of outfits that she had seen <laughs> which was very funny. But then later the couple actually identified themselves <laughs> of their own accord. Ah, oh, so no need for Detective Lauren Kilby in this particular case. No, every wedding I think has like funny moments. One, <laughs> one real highlight for me was the priest asked... Does anyone object? Oh, yeah. At that very point, my uncle had been trying to sneak in into the church at last minute because he got lost in a farmyard. <laughs> and then the whole congregation turn and he's literally standing in the doorway, perfectly silhouetted against the light. <laughs> and he dove sideways behind the pillar. Amazing. That, that classic fantastic. film moment of the door slamming, man standing there. I object. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. And we had a trumpeter that... <laughs> it's a friend of ours and he said oh I can play this song but I only know the first two bars of this song we were processing into the reception and he said you have to get up these steps and be there by the time the two bars are finished because that's all I've got <laughs> so I can do it but you're going to be on a time schedule <laughs> so Bruno was behind this wall and he started playing and we were like go 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 <laughs> That's brilliant. Trying to be dignified, but also get to the top of the steps before the two bars are over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Charming details. Yeah, Not exactly. So much a poo on the floor. Well, that's why I think this podcast is so brilliant because it's something so hilarious horrifying dramatic <laughs> mysterious but then it is like there are just these scattered details of you know eclectic wedding guests and eccentric people and an absolute perfect scenario for a mystery well i love the intrigue as well of all the different relationships that one might have with people at the wedding and all their various i think that's a really interesting topic to explore actually the, the, everyone's individual processes during a wedding because they're so fraught mm. with so many different things about they're so traditional in that idea of unity 
that I think a lot of people find that really difficult because they are such a confluence of so many different parts of your life. There are always going to be so many contrasting elements that come into play and I think that's always going to be totally fascinating Mm. to hear that about someone else's family and friends network is I bet extraordinary yeah no it's got a bit of everything so in case anyone missed the title of that podcast it is of course who shat on the floor at my wedding (laughs) find it on spotify and apple Podcasts and all the normal places i would highly recommend it yeah i'm gonna be listening to that thoroughly (laughs) (laughs) what have you been listening or reading this week well i've been watching or watching i'm not going to tell you about what i've been watching because it's too awful (laughs) but i've been reading Blonde Roots by Bernadine Everisto, who wrote Girl, Woman, Other. Have you read? Oh, yes. So I've read Girl, Woman, Other, but I haven't read anything else by her. So excited to hear about this one. Yeah. What did you think of Girl, Woman, Other? Oh, I loved it. I really, really loved it. It came recommended and took me a while to get into because of the form and the punctuation thing. Mm. She basically doesn't use full stops in it. Mm. I loved the way she wove the different women together and they connected. I just find that really satisfying as a reader when you're completely invested in this one person's story and then you see how it trickles into the next person. And Mm. I just love looking back at that big web of people. And I thought she bookended the beginning and end of those character journeys so well. The punctuation thing, as soon as I kind of got used to it, I really enjoyed it. The person who lent me the book, it wasn't like a warning, but she was like, oh, read this. It's really good tricky to get into because of this and I didn't notice it basically once I was properly Mm. into it I thought it just flowed really well and it didn't feel like a device or a tool to me it just felt like the natural flow of the book what did you think yeah completely no I totally agree I thought it was such a good book I mean I think what was interesting about that book which I think is continued here is is a strange distance from the characters like they were really interesting well-rounded and very rich characters but I felt they were portrayed in a slightly distant way in an academic way perhaps almost Mm. which I thought translated to this book but it's honestly so good and totally fascinating It was published in 2008, so quite a bit earlier than Girl Won't Other. Remind me of the title again? Blonde Roots. So it's a reversal of the transatlantic slave trade and it's set both then and also now. It's a mixture of times. And so whites, spelt with a Y, are taken from their homes in Europa across the Middle Passage to New Ambossa. The protagonist is Doris Gagglethorpe, who grows up in Apple Tree Cottage on a cabbage farm. And her family asserts a sort of pastoral version of slavery, medieval slavery, for Lord Percival Montague. And she's kidnapped by the Borderlanders, who are sort of Scottish people, essentially, and taken to the West Japanese islands, so named because an eminent explorer mistook the islands for Japan. So the West Japanese islands are representing the West Indies. So the novel picks up 20 years later when Doris is offered the chance to escape back to Europa by the resistance. And the novel is made up of three books. The first one follows her botched attempt at an escape and her memories of the Middle Passage, setting up this harrowing story of the lives of slaves. And the second book is then from the perspective of her master and his introduction to slavery and UK culture. And... Everista does a superb job of creating a foreignness from the normally central or heroic UK and seeing the 1800s culture for what it was, looking at the brutality of the clothes and corseting and 
the brutality of a culture that has executions and witch burnings and hands being chopped off and beggars despite the christian religion which goes against so much of those things and she also develops an otherness around suspicions in uk culture like the touching of wood and saying white rabbits on the first of the month and i think it's so interesting you know what i was saying about the sort of then and now Thing. She's using these examples, which are so prevalent today, of, of superstition to show this perverse understanding that the UK has of being more developed and how absurd that is, given these sort of idiosyncratic and debatably idiotic things like saying white rabbits and also of things like the imperial system and how none of the month quite makes sense <laughs> and, and how they all add up to a year in a, a sort of nonsensical way. It's a disturbing satire in which she mocks English culture and simultaneously reveals the brutality of the tools used by the colonists like the UK to other individuals and cultures as a whole of creating a foreignness or an otherness. And it's so interesting to see that played out on our culture, which is normally viewed with much more sort of rose-tinted glasses, I think. The whole book is filled with these caricatures that drive home points about the prevailing racism in our culture and its origins. So things like skin darkening, because it's the reversed, skin darkening, not being able to pronounce names, and then fashionable hairstyles that are difficult and expensive to maintain, nose jobs, and just in general, the internalized hatred of your skin and body and hair, because it's different from the ruling beauty standards and the dissolving family unit within slavery. And I think it's so interesting that she picks out these elements which affect women in particular. And this reversal is almost academic, like I was saying about that, the distance from the characters. It ticks off these racisms that we see in our, in our culture today and puts them in these new contexts and reverses these dangerous and racist stereotypes. And it's, it shows all the harrowing slave trade and it, for me, played on that familiarity of rural England within the slave trade in a way that was quite novel but then more importantly these ramifications of slavery and the colonial gaze that are still happening today i know i keep on saying that but it's so interesting to see the origins of these stereotypes and how they could have been perpetuated through to norms that we think of which aren't norms at all they're just racist and it's also mocking of modern anti-racist work with one of the slavers having a pile of self-help books. And so it's such a good book and it's so interesting tonally, this play between deeply serious and tragic descriptions of the Middle Passage and then this tragic comedy mocking these racist stereotypes and satirising the attempts at, to emulate black beauty standards. Really, really interesting. That sounds really, really brilliant. How long did it take you to almost not notice the switch anymore for that to feel normal? Did you ever sit with the book thinking, I'm completely used to the world I'm living in now? Interesting. The comparison I'm thinking of is the Mallory Blackman trilogy, Noughts and Crosses, mm. um, was the first probably like teenage fiction that I was fully obsessed with growing up. It was my favourite series. I still love it now. They recently did a BBC TV adaptation, which was also brilliant. And when I was reading those books as a kid and when I've revisited them more recently, I always notice how quickly I sink into that role reversal mm. and how normal it feels for the switch 
to feel normal I guess is what I'm trying to say and that she she creates this world that so mirrors and yet so opposes our current situation that somehow it felt completely normal and I really have to switch it in my head between fiction and reality if that makes sense Mm. and I don't know if that was Mallory Blackman's specific writing or the concept of a whole of of rewriting history and just making that black and white switch I felt it was noticeable for me how well written it was that I completely invested in a completely dystopian world Mm. well so this book the one thing I felt that held me back at the beginning was they've kept the world map essentially the same except that where Africa would be is now Europa but it has Mm. the weather of Europe the United Kingdom is called the United Kingdom of Ambossa so they refer to the United Kingdom as the United Kingdom but it's got the weather of potentially Africa so that was slightly confusing for me at the beginning was trying to Mm. that they would say United Kingdom but then you would have to remove all your connotations of what you thought about the United Kingdom and make that a new place but it didn't spend much time in the United Kingdom that was more the coloniser they spent more time in New Ambossa, which is the West Indies by another name. Right. It does have a very winsome feel to it. There's something kind of Neil Gaiman y, Terry Pratchett y about mm. this cabbage farm and Doris Scagglethorpe. Those details feel <laughs> yeah. very fantasy based. I really enjoy the way it plays between things that feel incredibly realistic and it gets more realistic as it goes on. And it's almost as if the narrator, because the narrator is Doris Scagglethorpe, as if she's created this fantasy version of her childhood home because the novel becomes more and more realistic as it goes on as she becomes more integrated with the slaves of the plantations because she spends a lot of her early time as a slave working within the house rather than on the fields. I've already said this, but the second book is from her master's perspective through his pamphlet. And that also is very caricature the way he's seeing all these executions and, and beggars. It becomes this sort of satire, as I was saying, but it, it feels very fantastical in a strange way. Yeah, it's just an interesting dynamic, I think, that, like you said, the kind of fantasy element of this kind of storytelling and mm. when so many things that are rooted in to switch them how much do you keep it trained to reality and how much do you just fully dive into fantasy and I think the balance is a very interesting thing to play with weirdly when I was reading Noughts and Crosses I felt like the world was very similar to the one I lived in apart from the obvious switch well mm. it wasn't as well because it's a really severe world that they live in and there's far more open segregation still Mm. but I didn't notice it as much reading but when I saw the TV adaptation it had more of those elements of like you were saying of the geography switch and things like that that I probably hadn't imagined when I was reading because it wasn't as laid out for me I would love to watch it it was I don't know whether it was for you but I know a number of young women (laughs) for whom Noughts and Crosses was their first sort of sex scene they'd ever read. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes, it was for me. I remember. (laughs) I remember really clearly because then years later, I read it because it was in our school library. So I read Mm. it when I was in like year five or six, which looking back now was really Mm. young to read that. And I remember years later, my mum worked 
in my old primary school as a teaching assistant to the teacher that had taught me in that class, mm. who was an amazing teacher. I remember he pointed the books out to me because he really championed extracurricular book reading. And if you were really into reading, he was like finding all these great novels for you and things. But he obviously didn't know that detail of it. <laughs> so I had fallen in love with these books at that age. And then years later, when mum was working in that classroom and I must have said to her like, and she said, oh, we, you know, Noughts and Crosses, those books you used to love. And someone in, in Mr. Shepherd's class reading those now. And I was like, oh, did you know that? There's a quite, <laughs> quite vivid sex scene in, the, in one of those books. She was like, no, really? And um, and when she pointed it out to the, the teacher when she was next in work, apparently he just like ripped those two pages out <gasps> of the book. No! And so I was like, I mean, it's better than taking the book away, but it kind of was not going to make sense that why she's suddenly pregnant. <laughs> and that's the next massive plot point when they don't re- let them read that part of the book. I don't understand not letting children read. (laughs) Surely knowing and understanding how sex works and the ramifications of sex Mm. like pregnancy, but also understanding the pleasure of sex and all those things should be something that you should read about and that should be encouraged because how else are you going to learn except by doing it if you're not if you don't read it or get told about it or get talked to about it. I thought that was fantastic when me and my friend both both read the book and there's a real kind of moment of both of us giving each other the eye being like did you yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah i read it, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 which page yeah yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and it's really weird i think when you look back at things versus how you look at them when you're in the moment like in the mm. moment i definitely remember being like whoa this is this is the first time you're reading something like that but that's kind of it it was there was nothing more to it than that it was it wasn't like it it changed you as a child or it distorted your childhood right no, no nothing crazy happened because of it and actually weirdly now looking back on it from what i just said thinking oh yeah you know it's only year five or year six that's really young well yeah it looks young now because i'm 27 looking back on it rather than at the time it was just you discover things at whatever age and it's really weird to try and get back into the I don't know your age of different points of development when you're looking at it now so many years on Mm. everything seems really way harder to assess when you should think about what things and when you should read about what things and all of that I do remember being very shocked there was some Somerset Morn that had a lot of sex in it but because it was it was written in a very coded way There'd be stuff like she'd bite her nails until they bled with sort of longing for this man. But I didn't, I kind of read it too young to quite understand what was going on. And I was like, wait, is he? And they had this very dominant, like, ooh, powerful, sexy sort of relationship. But as a child, I read that. Actually, you know, Bryony in Atonement, her reaction to, can't remember their characters, James McAvoy and Kira Knightley, I'll call them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> to the love note which is sort of this like violent yes thing and then seeing them having sex and and yeah. not being able to differentiate the sort of violence from lust mm. so in this somerset morn book the sex was depicted with with a lot of violence in it and and i couldn't differentiate that as a child and found that really hard to distinguish and got quite kind of disturbed by that but mm. i think in a book that's spells it out more clearly that is just a sexy young adult <laughs> vanilla sex sort of thing mm. i think is important to be portrayed vanilla sex. <laughs> I, 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 honestly i can't remember enough about the scene <laughs> to remember if it is vanilla but as in that it didn't have any confusing yeah. metaphors about 
I remember reading another book that referred to his his seed and his member mm. and I remember being like I don't know what's going on <laughs> and childhood brain just imploding <laughs> yeah god what a tangent into the thorny despicable lives of our teenage selves but Blonde Roots by Bernadine Evaristo is phenomenal and really interesting and I'd love to hear any of your takes on it because I'm sure I think because it didn't get the the same hype that Girl Woman Other got Mm -hmm. and so therefore hasn't got all that much necessarily said about it on the internet so I'd really love to hear anyone's perspective on it. Yeah I I think especially when an author who is as she's written so many books Bernadine Evaristo and she's so Mm. well published and things but when you have your kind of standout prize-winning book you mm. are so synonymous with that that actually it's quite nice to go back and read something else and and hear about that so i definitely i loved girl woman other so i'm definitely keen to, to read blonde roots as well mm. and all her other books as well indeed actually i listened to an interview with her she was brilliant to hear interviewed and she actually started out as an actor she went to rose bruford oh, no drum school and yeah and so you know the character in girl woman other amma i think her work life is quite similar to actually Bernadine's Mm. beginnings in the creative world. I'm pretty sure, it's a long time ago that I listened to it, but I'm pretty sure she started a theatre company with someone else and ran that for a while and then ended up producing instead of performing and then moved to writing and then began writing novels. I thought that was really interesting, especially someone as successful an author as she is. You just think that's all they ever have done and that's all they've ever wanted to do. And I love finding out that people have had different fingers in pies and and other jobs and other creative influences along the way she had a really interesting spell on instagram i don't know whether she's still doing it where she would post photos from her past and write a a sort of short little piece about it i thought that was really charming and really interesting yeah and i think as well i don't know if it's maybe just the stuff i'm consuming but i'm reading lots of either debut fiction or new writers Mm. and they're all of a certain sort of 20 to 30s age bracket and it's Mm. actually so lovely to see a woman with such you know varied life experience talking about her career through different eras and different times and still being as as present and as current as ever now Mm. with her vast knowledge and history so I think you're right her Instagram is a really good window into all of that and speaking of debut pretty sure it's her debut novel i think it might be debut i think it is is a book called luster by raven leilani which i was given for my birthday from you (laughs) (laughs) happy birthday to rhiannon for a a little while ago (laughs) well it was a very exciting birthday present books of course very in keeping but no it's been an, a, fan, a phenomenal <laughs> read and I've absolutely devoured it I've read it really quickly for me so Luster by Raven Leilani tells the story of Edie who is a young 20 something year old woman living in New York and really struggling to find her place in the world and to keep her life on track she loses her job her personal life is unstable she lives in a really horrible flat with a housemate and the flat's like falling apart and really grim and she doesn't have any money and she just reads as a sort of self-confessed mess. And then she meets Eric, who is an older white man and they have this online sort of sexting-based relationship at work before ever meeting in person. And Mm. Eric is married to Rebecca and they have an open marriage 
but the rules for the open marriage are seemingly made up as the situations present themselves. It doesn't feel like a kind of mm-hmm. well-honed thing that's happened before, potentially. It's not very explicit as to whether they've actually properly explored the open marriage thing before, if it's just sort of happening on the go, if that makes sense. Mm, interesting. For me, it felt like the first time and the open marriage is kind of defined by the relationship between Edie and Eric as it continues. I'm going to talk mm. a bit about the plot because it's really hard not to, <laughs> but it's still a fantastic read or you can skip ahead. I love spoilers. Okay, good. <laughs> so <laughs> so that Edie and Eric are having this relationship and Rebecca kind of knows and then knows more and more and Edie ends up living in Eric and Rebecca's huge house with them because of her own living situation and everything falling apart in her life and it all just kind of happens and then the final Mm. piece of this puzzle is Erica and Rebecca's adopted black daughter Akila who over time Edie forms a kind of sort of connection with and tries to help her after seeing that no one knows no one in Akila's Uh, life has helped her look after her hair or or any other things that this white family with a black adopted daughter haven't addressed or assisted with at all and so it's this really Mm. messy tangled knot of these four people who just don't openly communicate there's these little snippets of things and it feels very event-based rather than conversation-based if that makes sense you know when you're like i'm dying to put these Mm. characters in a room together and force them to talk about things but it's so tense the whole way through and it feels really gritty because there's all these awkward clashing communications not always negatively just it's not as smooth as you can imagine from the the setup of these relationships it's not a smooth dynamic throughout the book And we watch all these situations and these relationships develop through Edie's gaze. And she's really just trying to carve out her space in the world is the kind of vibe I got. I don't know if I said earlier, I think she's 23 or 22. She's quite young. Mm -hmm. And her gaze and her voice in the book is very interesting and starkly solo. Like it's written in the first person, but we don't meet anyone really that looks in at her if that makes sense sometimes when you're Mm. reading a book and the character you're focused on or whose point of view you're reading from is is struggling but you see other people in their life kind of popping up and you see their reactions to what's happening in their life and that kind of helps you form Mm. your opinion or or your view of it and there just wasn't that at all and I was quite away through the book when I realized that all I was getting was her take on everything and on herself and there was no one written in that was observing or seeing her, which made for a really interesting Mm. relationship with the protagonist. I felt like I'd never met a character like Edie before this book. It was really very interesting. So none of the characters really react to her in a way that I could interpret. It's really interesting. So even with Eric, there's a relationship there, but it's a very strange dynamic and it doesn't perhaps involve much traditional kind of care or love. So you only see Edie spiralling or anything through her own gaze. Mm. So it made it quite hard. This is a good thing. It's not a criticism of the book. It's just interesting. It made it quite hard for me to feel like I really knew where she was at or where her head's at for these different sections of the book. I would read a few sections and feel good, like, okay, she's in a good place or things are getting better. And then there would just be one comment or one opinion from her and it would kind of throw that into disarray and make me question why I had thought she was okay. And her stream of consciousness is really direct and quite jagged and detached and it's not a character looking for sympathy or pity or empathy and even if she's deserving of it from us as the reader it's it's just a really remarkable first person storytelling Mm. and the other thing that that really stayed with me was that when I was reading this book I really felt and I really sat in the discomfort of her life discomfort's a 
probably too a gentle word really like she's gone through some really intense things but I really physically felt the cockroaches on her walls and the racist interactions Mm. that came her way from colleagues and neighbors and things and I think it was because Raven Leilani's writing is so clear and cold and sharp it's it's totally unavoidable like it hits you and there are no frills and, and nothing to soften the blow it's really remarkable and another standout element for me was the character of Edie paints a lot and she kind of reconnects with painting and art throughout the the novel and the use of painting and imagery mm-hmm. is oh it's so beautiful and actually afterwards I was reading some more about Raven and she's she's a painter as well and so that made a lot of sense when I found that out as to why those descriptions of Edie's art and her reconnection with painting was so poignant and beautifully written and the the language surrounding mm-hmm. art in the book and creating something with her hands and her brushes. It's just so intricate and so familiar. And it really made sense that Mm. what Edie is feeling in those moments is is really authentic to the author as well. I really liked that she kind of brought that part of herself into it slightly. But it really felt like that. And it's, oh, it's just a fantastic read, a really, really phenomenal read for its style as well as its story. Raven Leilani's writing is just incredible. It delves into... You know, alongside this really complex story, it delves into racism, sexism, capitalism with such razor sharp wit that it's it's quite disarming. I found myself surprised to be made laugh at some points and I never really knew how a sentence might turn. It was really, it mm. kept me turning pages even through moments that are quite abstract or maybe even absurd. And it, it does jump around quite a lot in tone, but overall her imagery and her language just really, really keep you captivated. It was Superb. So I really recommend it. It's called Luster. And actually, just before we came on to chat today, I was just having a little look. Mm. And there's an amazing, I think it's an hour long book discussion with Raven Leilani with Britt Bennett in conversation with. Oh. Which was hosted by Harvard Bookstore back for the book launch in August, I think, of 2020. So it's been out about six yeah. months. But this, I started watching this YouTube clip and it was already so enlightening about her as an author and how she came to create this work and her style and Britt Bennett's a brilliant host and asks such insightful questions. So if you're interested in the book, I would totally recommend going and watching that interview if you need convincing because she starts by reading a small section of the opening chapter and it was so interesting having just finished the book and then hearing her read the first chapter, I totally was like re-evaluating the character that I now knew so much about from that first page and it was weird it made me want to go back and read it again already because I was like oh now I know this I want to hear that bit again it was oh fascinating and Raven Leilani just comes across wonderfully she seems so well she is so you know intelligent and warm and really open with her ideas and her process and a really great interviewee so I'm really excited to go and um, find out a bit more about her personally oh my god well I need absolutely no convincing that sounds astonishing (laughs) and yeah, God, what a tantalising review of it. I want to go consume everything now. I wait oh. until we do a book swap. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. And I was going to ask you, so when it arrived, yeah. and it's, it's got loads of quotes on the back. So Alex very kindly sent me two books. And this is the one I read first, purely because on the back, there are about seven or eight supporting quotes. And they were all from authors that I love of books I've recently read. Like, for example, Britt Bennett is one of them. And all the quotes just really made me go. I didn't actually read the the blurb or the intro to the book I just read those supporting quotes and thought hey let's jump in (laughs) how did you come across this what made you choose this literally judged the book by its cover I 
Excellent. It was really (laughs) sexy. And I think I read... Mm-hmm. the first paragraph and was sold completely and yeah. thought, I want to hear what Rhiannon has to say about this book <laughs> oh well thank you so much I feel like that sounds like I gave you the book so you could read it so you could tell me about it on the podcast which <laughs> I don't want to read this one so just do it for yeah. me no. <laughs> or oh, Rhiannon I've not really liked what you've read recently so here read yeah. this to bring it on the podcast <laughs> no it was such a great choice and the cover is gorgeous I can't wait to share it on our Instagram Instagram to entice the rest of you to oh. read it as well. It's a really nice length as well. It's under 300 pages. It's not like a mammoth read or anything. I read it in a really long stint. I read little and often, if that makes sense. I don't often sit for like a whole afternoon and just read. But this book, because it jumps around so much and the style is disarmed me mm. throughout, it would, it would take me one way and it would really surprise me. And then we'd jump back to a bit more of a kind of focused reality. And then you'd go back into a kind of abstract conversation. And so it didn't feel like I was continuing through one basic story Mm. it was really felt like a combination of things so it's a really interesting read in that sense highly recommend that one you know what i'm really looking forward to what (laughs) very dramatic (laughs) if slash when lockdown ever ends and we get to meet up to do this now long talked about book swap (laughs) but also get to compile and pile up all the books we've read for this first season and look at them all together I think that's going to be amazing that's so true that's going to feel great I have to bring a big suitcase of books (laughs) we'll find some park in the middle or something if lockdown doesn't end soon that would be so good I'd just love to see it visually though I must say I I keep lending books to people which is absolutely fine but obviously because of the pandemic you post them to someone and you're not going to see it for like a year so Mm. I'm going to have to recuperate all my my books so we can have a nice juicy (laughs) stack of season one stack would be really cool It'll be really fun. (laughs) Wonderbar. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And we're looking forward to talking next week. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you continue to enjoy our podcast. We've received some absolutely wonderful messages. It's been so lovely when people reach out on Instagram or email and start conversations with us about things we've discussed. And we would absolutely love to reach even more people with our podcast. And one way to do this is if we have some reviews on the actual podcast itself, it really helps other people find us and raises us up in the charts and things so we can reach more lovely listeners. So if you had time and you've enjoyed this podcast, we would absolutely love it if you could go on and rate and review. Uh, We'll see you next week. Lots of love. Talk (laughs) next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.